everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. We have a friend of the show, Zach Kaplan, writer extraordinaire, returning. Zach, thanks for talking to me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jace. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Uh, you know, you've always been somebody who's got a lot of irons in the fire, but I've, I've been fiending for some Zach Kaplan work. I, Much like a lot of us, I think the pandemic really kind of threw timing off for a, a lot of your stuff. Tell us about kind of the challenges and coming out of that. Oh, yeah. I had, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of things that were, you know, cooking when the pandemic hit that got um, delayed. And, and uh, you know, I don't I don't like to go into too many details in the behind the scenes sort of things. But, yeah, I had a bunch of, um, you know, things that were set that got reshuffled or fell through. And um, it seemed like everybody started to change their plans from publishers to artists and and everything in between distribution everything just started to change but yeah i mean you know i took the opportunity to just um keep my head down and keep making comics and uh and just line everything up and and um just know that it was all going to come out in a matter of time and and now i find myself at that time <laughs> where everything is coming out so uh so i'm very excited i'm excited to be finally bringing comics uh um some of my the stuff i've been working on out yeah, that's kind of the reason that I, that I asked, because there's always a worry when, uh, you know, people say this about Charles Soule or or, uh, or Tom Taylor, and they're like, man, how are you writing so many comics at the same time? Can, can you keep up? Am I going to have to worry about books coming out late? So a lot of this stuff that, that you're going to have coming out in this next year, you've already done. I mean, you're done writing it, right? For the most part, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely... Um, I've written all a breakout breakouts all completely written and, and um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm close to the end and on uh, both metal society and mindset um, for those series. So, yeah, I mean, I don't see any uh, major issues, although we live in a world now where paper shortages and distribution supply chain things can, you know, that can always delay a book and everyone's dealing with, you know, um, part of the people on the team getting COVID and, you know, all sorts of things come up now. So, I, you know, I think the best way to be a supportive comic reader nowadays is just to to be patient. Um, but uh, for people who know me, I'm I'm a workhorse and, uh, you know, I, I hope to have everything um, coming coming to readers so they continue to enjoy all of the series that I've got coming out. And, you know, you see three from me right now. I've got a ton more um, cooking and, uh, you know, uh, I have one more that I've been teasing that'll be um, coming out this year. And then um, a bunch of books that are getting set up for next year. So um, very exciting, very exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We should mention. Uh, so as you're listening to this, everybody, Breakout came out yesterday. Hope you picked it up. Uh, it might be my favorite thing you've ever done. Uh, I, it nearly moved me to tears. It wow. definitely gave me goosebumps. Thank you. I, it, it, that first issue just uh, just blew me away. So everybody, uh, April, uh, 12th was or sorry april 13th, 13th. Was, yes yeah, yesterday yeah. was april 13th yeah, yes. april 13th was uh we're recording this on the 12th <laughs> uh, but anyway april 13th uh hope you got a chance to pick it up if you haven't you better grab it and now is also the time to tell your retailers uh because like zach said there's paper shortages distribution issues and whatnot let them know that you want metal society number one coming from image comics top cow that one's dropping on may 4th and then uh, in June, right now, the date is June 29th for Mindset from Vault, uh, which seems like a kind of a mind bending uh, story, which I'm I'm very interested to talk to you about, because 
the artists you got on that one. I mean, really all the artists that you're working with are, are amazing, but uh, especially, uh, especially that one. So why don't we start with breakout since, uh, as I said, the first issue came out yesterday. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the elevator pitch for the story, and then we'll dive into some of the, the details of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a mashup of uh, sci-fi action adventure uh, drama. And it's a, basically a story about um, our world and suddenly spaceships materialize all around the globe and they start only abducting young people with robotic drones on a, on a kind of random but routine basis. And uh, our government can't seem to do much about it. We try to communicate with the, the spaceships. We try to stop them. And finally, the government says, we just got to live with it. And the story follows a group of young people uh, that say we're not going to do that. It's helmed by um, Liam Watts, a, a young, very clever uh, high schooler. And uh, his brother has been taken by these cubes. And uh, he decides he's going to plan an out of this world uh, prison break and, and rescue his brother and uh, put together a crew. So it's a, a sci-fi Ocean's Eleven uh, adventure. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned Ocean's Eleven because there definitely is a heist feel. There's a there's a sequence of pages in the middle where Liam is kind of recruiting his team along with his yeah. buddy. Uh, and your artist on the series, uh, Wilson Santos, he did an incredible job of giving us kind of that, you know, George Clooney, Brad Pitt sort of uh, sequence there. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, we talked about that even. Wilton Santos and Jason. Wilton Santos is the artist. Jason Ward is the colorist. I cannot say enough amazing things about them. Not only are they both super talented, they shine in this book. They shine together in this book. The art is really uh, beautiful. And we talked about, um, you know, uh, that page in particular using kind of tilts and angles to kind of capture the heist kind of energy and using, uh, you know, I tried to use um, narrative devices like um, the protagonists um, talking about the um, team as we meet them to try to, to try to evoke that kind of um, heist um, quality that you see in, in all the oceans series and, and other, other um, kind of caper thrillers like that. Yeah, you guys, uh, you nailed it. I, I mentioned being having a real emotional reaction. It was the last page that really got me um, where, yeah, I, I choked up a little bit and, and it, it gave me goosebumps. And, and I think part of the reason was, like you were saying earlier about Liam, he's like, OK, there was a time before the pandemic where maybe this would have felt a little far fetched, uh, kind of the same way I feel about. I don't know if you're familiar with the Aftershock title Maniac of New York by Elliot Kalin, where this maniac runs around in the. New York city government is just like, okay, we can't stop it. Right here, here, here in your book, we have these cubes that may, they might be aliens. It, it might be something else there. You'll have to read it. Everybody's first issue. There's hints that it could be something else, but this idea that the government just gives up and says, Hey, you know, we got to live with it now before the COVID <laughs> pandemic, it, that might've seemed far-fetched. Unfortunately now, not so much. And I think what really got me on that last issue was and and liam talks to his team about the leading up to it he's like the adults don't care because it's not them being taken it's the kids and we're not gonna fucking take this anymore you know yeah. and it was it was like him like ready to strike a blow for for all of us that have been through the hell of the last two years yeah i mean there's a lot of um parallels and metaphors uh you know and it definitely has a youth empowerment kind of feel but you know, I think the larger goal was to create something that is an allegory for all the existential crises 
whether it's climate change or shootings that we seem to be passing on to young people that were not um, crises or conflicts at the scope they are now, say, you know, let's go way back just to create, you know, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. These were not things that were being worried about on a daily basis. I mean, when I was in in school, I was not doing lockdown drills for shootings and and now my children have to. So it, it was it was you know, definitely to kind of show that once again, with spaceships appearing and abducting young people, our world is telling young people to live with it. And uh, yeah, they're not going to take it. And um, it's a it's it, you know, it's a really it's a really exciting message to share with readers. It's a really uh, ex- energetic narrative to kind of put out there because I think it is very empowering and very optimistic in the face of of such a tragic um, thing that these characters are living with, you know, to, to live under the, the threat that at any moment they could be abducted or, or for Liam to know that his brother has not only been taken, but is up there being held. And they, they, they've figured out that there's these, that the young people are being held in some sort of prison, you know, up there and, and, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. So um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's fun but it's also a very I think there's a lot of emotion in the story. And, um, you know, it, it was really fun to, to balance all that. Yeah, you used the word balance there. And that's kind of a signature of your work. You you so often look to the future with technology or science in your work, but it's always balanced out with great character work. And, and like you said, uh, emotion. Um, so, you know, that, and, and we'll talk about metal society where you, you're, almost, you know, it's, it's, it's very apparent there, uh, but we'll talk about that when uh, in a minute, but in, in terms of breakout, you're still balancing those things. You're still looking to the future, but with this idea that you almost have to push the envelope to say, okay, maybe what would have been believable or unbelievable before is now believable. Is it more of a challenge to, to make sure that you're engaging to, you know, to kind of push it just because everything has become more believable in real life. You know, I, I, to push the, uh, yeah, I I think that, you know, like you said, I I try to write when I sit down and I, you know, play with an idea and I write it, I try to think about the, the, the state of the world that we're currently living in and write to that, you know? And so there is definitely that, that, um, it is believable that that we would just say we're going to live with this situation. And it was kind of believable that the asking, so, well, what would young people, how would they react? What would they be doing? Would they be protesting? What would they be doing to, 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 to handle this on a, on a more ordinary basis? And, and then Liam comes to this crew that he's assembling and says, you know, we're going to do this. And of course it seems crazy because at the core uh, they're planning to go into a spaceship that they they don't really know too well what's going on up there. They they start to figure some things out, and and I won't go into too much spoiler there. But you know, yeah, it's a kind of it's a kind of shoot for the moon, absurd, um, crazy idea. But you know, as I looked at a lot, I remember watching a lot of capers and heists and prison breaks, and they all kind of have this. I feel like they all have that moment in the beginning where someone says, so we're going to, we're just going to rob three banks and walk out with $80 million. So wait a minute, we're just going to do this thing. And it sounds 
crazy. It sounds absurd. And they say, yeah. And so I think there's there's actually an interesting dynamic to these kinds of stories that the characters that would dare to do that are special and unique and interesting because they do they take the chance, you know, Danny Ocean takes the chance that no one would do. But the 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 do taking that risk um, is the character. That's the story. And so here we have, a, a, you know, I'm sure there are thousands of high school students in this world who don't take this chance. But here's one that's grown up on these kinds of movies. He talks about watching heist movies with his dad and uh, he's super smart. He's an engineer. He understands some layers of what's going on here and uh, he's going to take the chance. Why not? What's he got to lose? So it's a fantastic character character to kind of to bring to life. And, um, you know, yeah, again, uh, you know, like Wilton just breathes so much um, humanity and energy into this character. I, it really is such a great character to see, um, to, to go on the journey with in the story. Yeah. There's a lot of angst and, you see his struggle, you see his struggle, you know, especially when he's t- talking to his mom, you know, yeah. he knows he's going to take these, these chances. Um, so yeah, there's, and there's other, other personal stuff going on as well. Um, so one of the things about your work too, you, you tend to either go with a big ensemble cast, like a big crew, like you, you have here, or you go with like the loner, you know, like uh, in Eclipse, it's backs during the future. It's Clementine. Yeah. Here, here you're more going like, you know, Lost City Explorers with this, more of an ensemble cast, obviously Liam being uh, the main character. Do you prefer one or the other? Do you, do you like to bounce between different styles? That's a great question. I like both. And, uh, you know, actually what's interesting is uh, you're right. I, I have done that. I have some new projects that are cooking in, in the, in the kitchen right now that we won't probably see until, um, until next year that I am playing with, with duos with two, mm. you know, with the two, and I like that too. So, um, I like all of it. I feel like they're different sandboxes and, um, you know, I like to play in each one. I mean, Port of Earth was an ensemble cast in a different way. It was right. an ensemble cast, um, but the their storylines were all segmented. Um, and yeah, um, Breakout and Lost City Explorers are similar in the sense that they're both um, teen stories. But, you know, um, Lost Explorers, I had a great time writing that. I, I kind of leaned a little into the YA. And I think um, for people who are hearing this for the first time and curious about Breakout, I wouldn't really describe Breakout as a YA um, story. I mean, I think it, it it has a lot of maturity and a lot of groundedness and a lot of grit. And so um, I would say don't be fooled by the fact that there are six young people on the cover. I think that um, it's got some lightheartedness at times to it, but I'm hoping to kind of tackle some larger, headier, um, more thought provoking content and, and kind of um, um, yeah. But in terms of what, what I, um, I like them all. I like, uh, I like flitting around between um, single, single character or many characters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to see you doing it at Dark Horse too, because they seem to be leaning more, you know, they used to do a lot of license stuff. A lot of those licenses have, have moved on and they seem to be leaning more into the, the creator owned stuff. So I think it's, I think it's a good place. And obviously they have a tracker could been around for decades. I, I was, I was so excited to get the chance to work with Dark Horse. I mean, I've been reading Dark Horse comics for, for, you know, decades and, and mm-hmm. loved so many things that they've done. 
And um, yeah, they're selective in the creator own that they do. But I think that when they find a project they like, they really back it. They back things that they, they believe in uh, that, you know, they find um, the editors find things that they're passionate about in the publishing team. And so, yeah, I've been, I had been talking to them for a while and I was thrilled that they saw the vision for this story and just supported it from the get go. And um, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great fit and, and uh, a great experience. Yeah. They've been wonderful. Cool. I can't wait to, uh, to read more. Uh, yeah. if I have six issues, what, what's the, no, actually it's a, it's a really tight four issue miniseries. Okay. And, um, you know, when we sat down to break down the, the, the lay of the land, um, I saw the opportunity to really make some meaty issues so that I could co- accomplish both the, the character drama and the heist dynamics so uh issue one comes in at 28 pages oh wow Uh, issue two and three uh i think are 26 pages each so you get a lot of um bang for your buck in terms of the amount of story that you're getting on just an ordinary uh single issue and um and then it will all collect into a really nice i think uh substantial um story and trade so um yeah but in terms of the number of issues just four yeah so almost uh, five five issues worth of story. For five the, issues. The, yeah, five for issues the, worth of story and four issues. Yeah, right. yeah. For the price of four. Yeah, that's that's, a, right. that's a great deal. Uh, well, I definitely want to talk about uh, metal society. But one last thing about breakout before we move yes. on is there a, is there a moment? Is there a, a sequence? Is you know whether emotional or just kind of that heist feel? You know when they break out. Is there a, a moment in the series where you just can't wait for that issue to come out for that moment to be out there and see what uh, reader reaction is like? I mean, there's some real heartfelt moments coming up. And uh, I think seeing the characters pull off their plan and then seeing uh, obviously things go wrong and things go really wrong. uh, You know, I think it's it's exciting. And I don't think you're going to know which way things are going. It's fast paced. Um, Yeah, I just think. dive on in and, and enjoy. I think if you, if you like what you're hearing about the first issue, you're going to like the whole thing. Definitely. I mean, like any, like there's definitely an exhilaration to see what's inside this cube. Right. And so, and the, and, and uh, the artwork for what's inside the cube is just gorgeous. It's really cool. And uh, so, yeah, I think when readers get in the cube too, with the team, they're going to be really excited to see that, part of the plan start to unfold and get going. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that I'm excited for them to see this, the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, I, I, that's one thing I can say about your work. It's rarely predictable. So I never, I never worry about that. <laughs> uh, I guess one more thing I do want to ask about breakout. We were talking about how great the art is. Um, how did you put the art team together? Did Dark Horse suggest um, Wilton and, and Jason, or did you go out looking for No, them? I, 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 we put it together. Um, um, yeah, I saw Wilton's work. I've been looking for a while. I'm very careful about when I'm picking artists. It's really important to me to pick the right artist for the right project. And I feel like different artists are are good for different projects. And so I, I put a way too much thought into it probably. But I, I knew that it needed to be someone that could capture the, the detail of the world, but really the youthful energy of the characters. And uh, I saw Wilton's work. He had done some Star Wars, some X-Men, I want to say. Um, and um, I just thought he was really impressive. His character work was really great. 
I thought he really captured young people so well and, and any character so well. There was just a lot of emotion. He, he had some really great detail work and, and the environments just came to life. And I, I just could see it. And I just, you know, I reached out to him and shared the story and he fell in love with it. And, um, you know, I really am a very kind of collaborative, in-depth, um, you know, um, creator. And I like to really get it in the weeds with artists and, and talk about things and work, work them out. And, um, and then we, and then, you know, again, I like to also try to think about the quality that I want to bring out when bringing on a colorist. So Jason Wordy, I had seen his color work in, um, well, so many things, but what drew me was his work in autumnal mm-hmm. and this kind of emotive painty vibe that he had done there and he'd done it, I think, in, in another book as well. And I was like, you know, I don't want something slick. I want something that this has so much emotion in this style. Right. And let's put this together. Let's put this kind of um, these two together. And it came out it came out really great. And then Jim Campbell uh, is just a, a, a tactical surgeon when it comes to lettering and, and just knew exactly you know, how to, how to navigate through the art and take and, and, and capture both the drama and the sci-fi thriller aspect of this. So, yeah, we, we all, we, it, it, you know, like any good uh, mission, we put the crew together one by one and uh, you know, I know just the guy and I know just the, the artist and um, we put it together and um, yeah, it came out great. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Jim Campbell on the letters because one of the things you know you yourself mentioned, kind of the fast pace to, to squeeze this much story into four issues, you got to make sure the pacing's right, and that has so much to do with the placement of the word balloons, how many you know lines are in a balloon, and it's it's lettering is one of those kind of undersung and misunderstood things that nobody notices when the when the letter nails it, they don't get enough credit, but if it goes if it's wrong. It can throw everything off. Yeah. It, and uh, and he the, that was the challenge. Every book actually has a lettering challenge, I think. And, and you're you know, you don't know it until you get into it. But Jim's challenge was to keep the pace of both a young adult character drama and a sci fi uh, heist thriller. And he he he, he nails it. So it, it was really it's 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 a real smooth read. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, if you didn't pick it up yesterday when you were at your comic shop, pick it up now. Let your retailer know you're I mean, you go and pick up issue one and read it and then don't immediately reach back out to say you want the rest. You're crazy because the first issue just it's it's incredible. There's two incredible covers. We had Adam Gorham, uh, who's the he's doing a bunch of stuff now, but he's the main artist on um, uh, the Blue Flame. Mm hmm. Blue flame, the blue flame. Yeah, blue flame. And um, and he did the covers, the main A covers for all four of our um, of, of the main covers. And then Raphael Albuquerque did the the B cover, which is just a, a killer cover. And if you are a uh, a variant hunter, there is a uh, Francisco Francavilla variant that's only uh, available in nine stores for breakout. So you can go hunting for that and see if you can find it. But um, but yeah, we have some other killer covers coming Um um breakout's got some great cover um on two three and four too so yeah yeah i got the the a and the b cover from my local comic shop and then i saw you post uh francesco's cover on twitter and i'm like i gotta go i'm glad you said that i I, you reminded me i gotta once we're done talking i gotta go order one of those so yeah yeah it's fantastic uh well let's move on uh heading back to where it all started top cow 
uh, with Metal Society. And I even saw um, Matt Hawkins, the president of Top Cow, the other day on social media said that this is his favorite thing that you've ever done. So uh, and, and like I said, that that balance of humanity and technology that is a lot of times something you explore in your work. This one, you're going like we're, we're putting pitting them together. So tell everybody what uh, what Metal Society is about. Yeah, Metal Society takes place in, in uh, a far future uh, where humanity has had our shot and big surprise. We've blown it and uh, we're off. We're out and uh, robots have stepped up and they have taken over the entire planet and they've modeled their their civilization, their society kind of they're trying their best to be like us, like humans, even though there are many different kinds of robots. And um, then they do something which is either very predictable or, or very surprising. They resurrect extinct humans uh, to do the jobs that they don't want to do, basically. And uh, they put humans to work doing manual labor. The story follows this young woman uh, who's brought into life. Her name's Rosa. She expects to be welcomed into society only to realize that there are, are you know, um, divisions in this uh, world. And ultimately, as the story unfolds, she um, ends up being put to the test to uh, face off against a robot in an MMA style boxing fight to show what humanity is made of. And uh, there's this big existential question. Who is uh, going to be the supreme species? Is it is it man? Is it machine? Human versus robot? Uh, and uh, so we we've been saying it's kind of like Rocky in a Blade Runner world. So yeah, and again that idea of you know technology, uh, you know is it is it better? Is it not? I mean, j- just like you said, the, this interesting thing that robots do in in a first of all, they can make themselves look like whatever they want to look like and they make themselves look humanoid. It's so telling, but in a way you can almost say, okay, well, the robots could also be um, this, this allegory for just the haves. And in this story, the humans are the, are the have nots because it's, yes. it, it's, uh, and where that really felt very much the case was like you just said, the, they bring back the humans to do the jobs they don't want to do. And that's so often, you know, the, um, kind of the underprivileged now or, or the marginalized people in our society that get stuck doing those jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is very much about uh, haves and have nots divisions in our society, the uh, fear of the other and, um, and, and tribalism and how we find ourselves currently in a world more divided than ever. And somehow over the past 10 years, even though our problems have become more extreme, we've become more divided and not only divided. And this is the other layer to the story. We've become more focused on fighting with each other for entertainment's sake Um, that in our divided camps, um, it seems like it's everything's sports that we're fighting like, like we're on teams and um, obviously nothing is getting solved. Um, So there's this kind of, you know, um, exploration of what it means to fight and what is what do fights mean in a society and obviously divisions. And um, yeah, I think that the the robots are very human. And by making them very human, we get to really explore 
a kind of human, a human, human experience, even though it is robots. Um, yeah. The other aspect of, of the story too. Um, and this is the case with, with a lot of your work and, and going back to the first thing that you did, which, which is how we met and, and how I just fell in love with your work, which was eclipse. Uh, it's this idea that there are these underlying themes that are interesting to you that you present to the reader in a subtextual way that if you want to have the value and sit there and think about it and explore that you can, but on the surface, it's just, a, right. you know, the eclipse is just a great post-apocalyptic story about, you know, the sun being deadly. Here we have just this really cool story about, you know, a future society where robots have brought back humans and we're going to get this fantastic. This is the whole story is going to be framed with this MMA fight. So if yes. you just want to read it on the surface as a as a badass action MMA story, you can do that. Yeah, it's not it's definitely not preachy and it's definitely not. I, I don't you know, I, I like to kind of. um poke a question, a thought provoking thematic question in here and there. But at the core, I mean, uh, yeah, it is a human versus a robot in the ring. Who's going to win? And, um, you know, I was really um, excited and I did a lot of exploration of of some of the great sports uh, dramas, you know, obviously watching lots of Rocky and um you know, the new creeds and stuff. But, you know, looking at like um, uh, one movie that I really loved uh, was uh, Rush, you know, the car, um, you know, looking at like two great champions facing off against each other and you don't know who's going to win. And, and at each as the drama unfolds and you understand these characters drive and the and the the stakes uh, really mounting on these kinds of fights. You know, there, there are some fights where you got a boxer and they're trying to make 20 grand to save mom's house or something. But, you know, here you have a fight where the very fate of humanity's place in society and robot society, it, it's all on the line. And it's just a tremendous amount of of pressure. And so I really had a, a great time seeing what that pressure does to the characters and to the society. And, you know, I, I expect that readers will be really, you know, not sure which way the fight's going to go and really kind of like, Oh my God, like she, she's, she's on the way, no way he's on the way. And, 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 you know, just to, I want to bring that the, the, the fight to such a boil that, you know, by the time it, it hits, it's really, you know, you can't wait to see how it's going to turn out. So yeah, at the core in, despite all the sci-fi and all the robots and some cool themes, it's a fight. This is a fight drama, you know, yeah. it's a fight drama. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned rush. So I, I actually discovered, so I, I, when I watched uh, Ford versus Ferrari, that got me interested in, in yeah. European racing. And then I, I watched a bunch of F1 documentaries on on uh, on YouTube, and then I've got now th through the pandemic, I've become an F1 fan and whatnot. And, and Rush is a fantastic film. And what I love about that, as it compares to Metal Society, is and this is true of F1 now. You have these singular racers that are in that you know cutting edge machine that are pitting themselves against each other. And in that movie, it's you know the top two guys going against each other. Yeah. But, beh but behind them are all the teams that have put in all the work and it's, it's more than just them, but when it comes down to it, it's individual against individual. So in, in metal society, it, like you said, it's the whole fate of all of humans, the whole fate of all of robots, but it comes down to these two who's got what it takes. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, there's all the other tropes of having the co each different coaches in each corner and uh, societal figures who are putting pressure on each character and loved ones who and what they represent. And 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 the whole story, we definitely approach the whole story in a very kind of mirror kind of way. I mean, you're 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 meeting Rosa and seeing her experience as a human and what's going on. And then you're seeing her her rival, the challenger and seeing what's going on for him and seeing a glimpse at robot society and yeah. And then just building the stakes on, on both sides. And so um, it's just a really it, uh, fight dramas are fascinating. I think fights are fascinating in real life that, um, you know, whether it's MMA boxing fights or, you know, racing or horse racing. I mean, sometimes the stakes are really crazy uh, and, and there is a, just a ton of drama behind the scenes. And um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, but I'll say it again here. One of the, the inspirations for the whole thing was um, uh, several years ago, I was in New York comic con and I saw the McGregor Khabib Khabib fight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I found out after the fact that both fighters at this fight, or I found out as I was watching it, that it was, it was actually a political fight between Russia and um, uh, Khabib's home home country, which I forget the um, I forget if it's Romania or where he was from, but he was from a country where there was politics against Russia. And it was just very it was a very charged fight. And I was fascinated by that. A, the, the sports, a, a sports event could have political and sociolo sociological implications just based on who won. Um, and that kind of spun me off. So, yeah, I think it's just a, it's really um, fascinating to, to write a really high stakes um, fight, epic fight like this. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes relatable, too, because when you, you know, we're talking about tribalism, uh, you can go back to that. I mean, look at the, especially European soccer. I mean, where they they have to put up like a razor wire fence between the. Yeah. I mean, these guys identify they live and die with with their teams. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe a little too seriously. Uh, but the other thing that that's fascinating uh, that you do here, and I imagine it's to keep that drama and, and tension. It's it's the story structure. Right. So in the first issue, we're already in the fight. You, did, you didn't choose to tell a story where you build up to the fight. Right. We, we get fighting, you know, them pitting themselves against each other right from the first issue. But then. Uh, a lot of the context and, and uh, you know, history of these fighters and, and what they've been through is told through uh, flashbacks. So when you first conceived the idea, was that always a structure you're going to go with? It was. And it was the kind of thing that I conceived, conceived of it. And then as I sat down to do it, I said, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was ambitious. You know, it was ambitious to map out not only the world building, not only the fight structure, but a nonlinear dual storyline structure right. throughout the entire, uh, the entire five issue mini. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was challenging, but uh, I, it was exciting to, 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 to do it. And um, yeah, it, it jumps around a lot, the story and um, has a very kind of frenetic pace at times. And then a very kind of slow burn, um, um, at times where you just get with the characters. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a challenge to do, to do that, but I kind of knew that it had to have that, um, that element to it. It had to kind of, the story could, had to both be in, in the moments of, of the fight and right before the fight. And then at the same time, tell the story of how we got here, you know? 
So was it when you were doing it that way, nonlinear, was it the, the getting the pacing right? Or was it a matter of, of it was tougher to know how much real estate you needed for the story? Uh, oh, everything. It was hard. It was hard to figure out the real estate. It was hard to figure out which flash even. I mean, I think I even had to at one point crack the story linearly and then figure out how to non-linearly divide it. some of Got these moments. Yeah. When, when is this moment? Is this an issue two moment or is this an issue three moment? Because then it gets into dual storylines for both our hero, our hero, heroine Rosa and the challenger, the robot. And uh, his name's Wall. And, um, you know, trying to balance both of their stories, both of the fight and the moments before the fight and 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 trying to create a constant feeling of duality in, in each issue so that we feel that we're, we're seeing this kind of mirror effect of both of them. So um, yeah, it was just, it was just a, a daunting, challenging uh, <laughs> task. And I, you know, lots of flashcards and lots of outlines and lots of moving things around and, and then, you know, it all clicked into place. Cool. Well, yeah, I did feel like we got a lot of Rosa in the first issue, a little bit of wall. And I am curious to learn more about him because one of the things that I took away from the first issue is this isn't a case where humans, good robots, bad, you know, what uh, the robots don't necessarily seem like these mustache twirling villains where there's no context. There's no relatability to them. And I have a feeling as it, as it builds through subsequent issues, we're going to, we're going to have a window into feeling empathy for uh, the robots uh, as well. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about some of the choices the robots may have made that we are, are privy to in the first issue seem like, and you alluded to it seem very human. Yeah. I wrote them. I mean, they're, they're written in, in a very human way. And I definitely think that you'll um, experience um, the world of the robots and you'll, you'll understand it and empathize with it. It's not alien. It's definitely very relatable. Um, so yeah, I think um, there is a, there is a lot of that. I'll also take a minute to say uh, the artwork in this is, is just breathtaking too. And uh, you know, um, the world building was so important and that, you know, um, Gilherme Balbi is the artist and uh, he came from um, uh, he had done um alien over dark horse uh, the, the the they did re, did like a, a redo of the original screenplay as a graphic novel and then he had done some avatar and uh you know it was really important and we talked a lot about the world of the robots and what was it going to be like and what were the the cities going to be like and and it was it was they were they were not trying to be human, but they were not trying to be robots. And it was a really fine line. You know, they don't have, they're not wearing skin and stuff. You know, they're not, um, um, we're not like at Westworld level, um, but they're, ro they're robots acting like humans in a lot of ways. And, and they even talk at times about achieving balance and, and, you know, uh, Nate being doing things naturally. And so it's kind of funny and interesting to hear a robot society trying to be as human as it can be. Um, and so that we, I, I bring up, uh, um, Gilherme and, and also Marco Lesko is our, our amazing colorist. And he came from, you know, um, Blade Runner, you know, he was doing the Blade Runner um, comic. And, and so his his gritty dystopian colors are perfect for this. So really creating that world uh, that's 
that's not totally robotic. You know, it has a lot, it has a lot of life to it. The, this robot world. So when you brought Gil Hermione on, did you, did you guys design the world first or did you do character design first? We did it all kind of at the same time. I mean, um, but I think that you couldn't design wall and design the main robot characters without kind of designing the world. And we talked mm-hmm. about, okay, what, are, you know, what are the robots? They all look different. They all have different functions. You know, uh, one of the important aspects of this robot world is every robot has a function and that's, that's important to the robots. Um, and um, so, you know, all the, all the nuances and where do they live and what does the city look like? And they're trying to be human in, in many ways. And then designing the human world, the humans are doing manual labor. They're cleaning up human trash from centuries ago. So they're um, finding junk. So they're kind of they're, the human settlement is full of old human things that they've dug up and they're trying to resuscitate and bring back too. So um, we spent a lot of time talking about world and trading. You know, I, I came up with all sorts of like explanations and ideas and he would add in and say, well, how about this? And, um, you know, bringing Marco in to help talk about the colors and what, the, what was going to be the color schem- schematics for, for the robot world and the human world. So it all kind of, it, we definitely went through a design phase of the world before we, we got into the story. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Marco having two different schematics. It really is a different palette, you know, uh, lots of blues, kind of cooler colors for the robot world that we see. And then kind of the the Warrens, uh, I guess, where, that we'll call them, where the humans stay, you know, a lot of more browns and, and earth tones. So yeah. uh, it, it definitely helps to differentiate between those two. Yeah. And and um, God, there's like some breathtaking double spreads in this yeah. thing. I mean, just just gorgeous. And uh, yeah, playing with the playing with the medium really nicely, you know, lots of different um, multi-paneled uh, pages and, the, you know, speeds up and slows down. So just some really great, great artistic storytelling. Yeah. And then knowing you're back at Top Cow and, you know, Troy Petrie work, works on a lot of those yes. books. So, you know, that's well, and he had I mean, we were talking about letters having daunting tasks. You know, I, hey, Troy, we need to design. Uh, different lettering styles for both the human world and the robot world, but also the robots have different maybe styles of talking because there are different kinds of robots. And also there's a sports announcer and also there's occasionally voiceover. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, but Troy, Troy, you know, he, he delivered, you know, amazingly, it's just uh, really, really smooth letters and really interesting letters that really help bring out the world. So um yeah. Yeah. It helps to differentiate, especially like you said, when you have these different models of robots, you know, having that different font, it just, it really sells the idea that these are different voices that are, that are coming across. Yeah. Um, but very, the other thing about this book, you know, you're, like I said, you're back at Top Cow where you did your, your first comic Eclipse. Uh, and this feels just like such a Top Cow <laughs> book. So did you have that in the back of your mind when you, yeah. when you first thought of it? Hey, yeah, I, I did. I, I've, I've built a bit of a pedigree at, at Top Cow doing hard sci-fi and, um, you know, Eclipse is hard sci-fi and Port of Earth is kind of hard sci-fi. And so, yeah, this felt hard sci-fi and uh, felt like a really good fit for Top Cow, a really good fit for building on kind of what I had done there before. And um, yeah, it was really exciting to bring them. They really loved the idea and, and, and got behind it. Um, 
and uh yeah we've done a lot of cool things um you know we did a really we did well i i did cool trailers for both breakout and metal society but um some really great covers i mean i i have to talk about one of the one of the great things that uh came out of metal society is i got mark silvestri to do a cover um for issue one uh which was just kind of a uh surreal dream come true and um and then we got alex and claire to color it which just you know i couldn't i couldn't believe it so uh that's it's, it's gorgeous cover and uh really was really something special to me to to be able to <laughs> have mark sylvester and alex and claire do a cover um we've got some other amazing covers i mean uh man oh man it's a it's a murderer's row um Christina kalita if i pronounce her name right has a great cover alan qua Fernando Blanco, Mateus Manhanini, um, just some gorgeous, gorgeous um, covers. And then Gil Herme and Marco's A cover is just really great, just totally capturing the two main characters facing off against each other and the duality and the division of this, these two worlds. So, um, yeah, it, 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 working with Top has just been, uh, been great. And, um, I mean, uh, yeah, we just got our numbers um, earlier this week, and uh, it, I posted this on Twitter. It's one of the biggest um, biggest uh, ordered books of my career by a mile, and um, just feels really exciting to um, to to get it out there. I can't wait for for everyone to check it out. I'm so appreciative of everybody to to support the book. Yeah, that's very gratifying. And I'll let me pull it up in front of me again. I'll remind everybody. Uh, you have a little bit of time. Uh, so let your retailer know. So May 4th is when metal society number one hits. So now's the time to tell them you want it. Yeah. The uh, orders, and- the orders are in, but you can definitely tell your retailer that whatever they have planned for the shelf that take it off the shelf, put it in your pull box yep. before it gets claimed. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that will be great, hopefully having these two books come out uh, close to each other that fans of, uh, or somebody who picks up one and likes it will go then go and, and pick up the other, because I think they're, they're, they're diff, the, you know, despite the fact that, you, you know, they're very much Zach Kaplan books with, you know, human and, and tech uh, and, and how they interact and, and, you know, what it says about us as, as a society, uh, they're both so wildly different in terms of tone. They feel so good, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. <laughs> I like doing, I mean, it's, I, I find it fun to do things that are both different, but then hopefully have some of me and everything. So um, yeah, but I, I think that, I think that they're both sci-fi. They're both, they both have a, a, a kind of large epic scope to them. They have some, you know, some real heartfelt characters and, and uh, lots of twists and turns. And I, I, I think that, um, I think that there'll be lots of readers that enjoy both of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And the, let's talk maybe about the, the deepest book you have coming out in terms of like mind bending, which is mindset, which is coming from vault. Uh, as of now, the release is June 29th. Obviously that could, that could change. Incredible art, preview art that we've seen from John J. Pearson, who uh, people may know from what, what was it? Blue, blue and green. green uh, which yeah. He was the uh, yeah. he was the colorist and, and collaborator on the digital art for blue and green. And he won an Eisner for that. And um, and he's done um, Batman Urban Legends with uh, Ram V. And he did um, some razor blades with um, Ram as well. Uh, razor blade being um, James uh 
Tinian's um, horror magazine. But this is John's first. Um, well, he might have done some other um, smaller comics, too, that I don't want to discount. But um, th- this is um, um, kind of a, a really important um you know, one of his biggest books yet. And he's just incredible. And, you know, we really came at it in a very collaborative way um, too. And, you know, really um, from the onset wanted to do something a little different with this book, something that plays with the medium. Um, You know, it's a book about mind control and um, yeah, his artwork is just incredible. You guys are going to have your minds blown for sure. Yeah. I, and I go back to something that I said that there was a, an announcement that was on, on CBR and uh, John was talking about how much he was going to take different approaches on the art to reflect different natures of the story. You know, he's using traditional, he's using digital. Um, so rather than just saying, okay, here's Zach's script and I'm going to translate that this is going beyond that to literally the mediums he's using to help like set the motion, set the tone and, and tell the, the story itself, because it does feel like this is a little bit more of um, an existential story, you know, as you're talking about mind control, but you know, you yourself have said in interviews, it's, it's about what is, you know, technology is supposed to make the world smaller. It's supposed to bring us together, but oftentimes it has the exact opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, John, John's work, uh, is just incredible. And, and, um, he's playing with the, the artistic medium together. We're playing with the visual medium and the, and the narrative design, I guess I should tell people for those of you who don't, um, who don't know the short and sweet on this book, uh, it's a sci-fi, it's a dark twisted sci-fi techno thriller, uh, about four, uh, grad school nobodies that happened to discover mind control and they decided to do something a little different with it. They put it in a meditation app in the hopes of helping people cure their technological dependency and perhaps rid the world of some of its um, technological manipulation. And they end up becoming uh, one of the largest apps on the planet and they have a massive um cult following and what follows is is uh murder and mayhem and uh just a, a mind-bending um thrill thrilling ride and um it's 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 awesome and uh yeah we 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 came into this story and and from the onset just kind of really tried to to take a very and and with Hassan Atsman Elhau too the the fantastic letterer we all just kind of really tried to get into, you know, the emotions and the themes and the, the intentions of, of, of what the story is doing at each point and, and ask ourselves, you know, what layouts could enhance that or elevate that and, and, and what story aspects. Um, so it was a very, perhaps the most cohesive, uh, collaborative, you know, intensive um, process that I I've done yet in terms of really delving into um, until to the process of the book. Yeah. Not to make it sound like too pretentious with these big ideas, which it's a, it's a fascinating idea to me. And I can definitely see if 
someone were to discover mind control and put it in an app, having it go completely that way, you know, completely the wrong way, having kind of the opposite uh, intention. But, but yeah, not to make, you know, too hoity-toity about it, with John doing his own colors, I really feel like this book and anybody who read Blue, uh, Blue and Green will feel this, probably will realize this. This is a book about uh, it's an experience more than just, you know, this is a comic I'm going to read. It's going to be an experience, you know, with this kind of very high level idea that you guys have. And then with John's line work, in addition to the color and the emotion that comes from that color, and then with Hassan's letters integrated into that, this feels like it's going to be something really special and and more than just a a comic, definitely something to experience. We hope so. I mean, that's our hope. Our hope is to make something that has uh, readability that people can return to and, and experience in, in new ways as they read it again and again, and, and something that will have, um, you know, um, talkability in the sense that people will want to talk about it and want to talk about what they are experiencing and reading in it and engage and connect over their interpretations of it. Um, yeah, it's a very, um, I think it'll be subjective and I think it'll be, um, provocative and, um, hopefully it'll be exciting. Hopefully, you know, um, and I think it's a good marriage of, um, a thriller and a, a drama, you know, and um, there, I mean, there's a great character story at the core of this book. Um, There's also a great thriller and there's a little horror uh, at even a a layer of horror, I would say. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of layers and I hope that people enjoy peeling them all back, you know, and, and enjoying it all. Yeah. So, so three books coming out, three different publishers, you know, we, we talked about dark horse. We talked about top cow is vault a publisher you wanted to work with for a while. Why was this the project? Uh, you know, I, uh, 2016 was the first, uh, San Diego comic-con that I exhibited at. And I was at top cows booth signing eclipse. And when I got off of my, my signing, um, window, I went off to explore and I went around all the main booths and then I found small press and there in the small press section in 2016 was a little vault table. Mm-hmm. They, uh, there were the wassels and the wassel, I maybe, I don't know what the <laughs> plural of wassel is. Uh, and, and, uh, I think, uh, Nathan might've been there. Um, and, um, I'm not sure who else was there and they, they, I dare say did not even have, full issues. They might have had ash cans of books that were coming. And so it was, it was fascinating. They stood out immediately to me amongst all the small press. I was like, what is this one? And they they just had a passion. They had a, a voice and it was really interesting. They weren't on the map at all, but I could, I just was I was into it. I, I, I think I took it. I bought everything, read it, loved it, started to follow them, kept in touch, was, was promoting them and saying, everyone's got to check them out on, um, on Twitter. Little did I know that they were, you know, let's face it. They were the next vertigo, you know, they were, they were going to be putting out some of the best books of our time uh, and, and really just tapping into some amazing 
creators and an amazing series. And, um, and yeah, so we, we've, we've been talking for years and looking for um, the opportunity to do something and, um, and it finally timing and, and finding the right project. It all came together with, uh, with mindset here. And yeah, uh, I'm thrilled to, to do this book and uh, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's the perfect spot to do it at. Yeah. Yeah, they they are definitely a publisher. If you guys aren't familiar with Vault, definitely a publisher you should pay attention to. That's where uh, Ram V got his first, uh, at least his first American work. Uh, Christopher Cantwell, who's a you know fantastic writer, co-creator of uh, Halt and Catch Fire. That's where his Blue Flame book is. Michael Morisi's Wasted Space. I mean, the list just goes goes on and on and on. So, yeah, yeah, they have yeah. some they have some great books. Uh, well, I know you can't talk about any of the rest of the stuff that you're working on, but, uh, I trust that you w- uh, are working hard, uh, maybe one more series this year. And then most of the yes. stuff, stuff will be next year. One more series this year, for sure. That we'll announce in the next couple months. Um, so that will, that will round out a fun, uh, four, four series, uh, this year. And then I don't think we'll get any more this year. Um, I think there might be some announcements at the end of the year, but um, next year is also going to be pretty stacked. So, uh, and I, it's only, it's only April. So uh, <laughs> I got plenty of time to stack it even more, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an awesome time and uh, I'm having a great time um, just um, playing with story and, and, and coming up with lots of cool ideas and, and trying to tackle different things at every turn and, and find great, collaborators to do it with both as publishers and, and, and artists. Yes. Are are you looking to stay in the creator owned space, independent space? Are you looking to do any licensed stuff at all? Or I would, I would very much do licensed stuff if it was the right one. Um, But yeah, absolutely. I would I mean, I love sci-fi. There's lots of great sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to do Blade Runner or, or Dune or something in that, you know, space. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi fan. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I would love to still um, do something with big two, you know, it's all mm-hmm. about finding the right project in the right time, but I, I don't ever want to lose sight of doing creator on books. I couldn't possibly imagine um, pouring myself into uh, licenses to the point that I'm not able to do creator own. It's, I think it's, it's very important to me to continue to, to do, to do a, definitely a few creator and books every year. Cool. Cool. Well, it's, uh, it's been great catching up, Zach. It's always great to see you. Hopefully we'll uh, be at a con together and grab Absolutely. You, uh, sometime soon. Uh, do you want to remind everybody where they can find you on, on social media? Where's yeah, the best place to yeah. follow your work? I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Zach Caps, uh, Z-A-C-K-K-A-P-S. And I also just launched a few weeks ago, uh, a Substack newsletter. You can go and follow more, uh, in-depth updates or perhaps first drops on things at Technobabble, uh, which I think you can just go to Substack and, um, and Google or look up my name and, or Technobabble because that's me explaining everything with scientific accuracies, the Technobabble. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, but that's where everyone can find me. And yeah, let me, let me know what you guys think the breakout. I'd love to hear, love to hear, hear, hear your thoughts. Yeah, I definitely vouch for uh, for Zach being uh, interactive on social media. He loves to hear, uh, you know, as much as we hear about the toxic part of social media. Uh, I love to hear you interact and answer. Uh, don't don't tell me like I don't come tell me you didn't like it. 
<laughs> don't come down. Like, I don't need to be like taken down a, a notch or anything, but like, if you liked it, I would love to hear from like to love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you liked about it or, or yes, I would. Uh, yeah. Or if you have questions, you know, I'm, I, I love to talk about, um, talk about the stories for sure. Yep choices he made why he made them yeah, yeah. Ask, ask him all that ask him all that stuff so if you're having trouble finding him on social media go to the show notes everybody i'll put links there and also put a link to the Substack uh newsletter as well so uh, again zach uh, best of luck with the books uh, congrats on metal society being uh such a huge uh thank you o- order uh I'm, I'm really i got my fingers crossed for you on breakout man i hope people are talking about the book because it, it's my book of the week it, it was it just even not that i go into you're reading your books with expectations of them being good. Although maybe I should, because everything you write seems to be right in my wheelhouse, but man, you, you really raised the bar on that one, man. You blew me away. Thank you. You really did. So I guess my highest possible recommendation guys go and pick it up. I promise you it's really, really great. And in fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you buy it and don't like it, reach out to me and I'll, (laughs) I'll meet you at a show. You can give me your copy and I'll pay you back for it. Money back guarantee. That's how good this book is. Go and pick it up. So anyway, uh, Zach, again, thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Chase. Thanks, everyone. Yep. To you listeners, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your support as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.